I'm not going to remember the order very well, probably when we're live. Oh my gosh, you're doing your best, Stroud. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use that all the, the time. time. Oh, Josh, you're really doing the best, you aren't are you? You're doing the best you can. <laughs> cool. Unfortunately. Cool. <laughs> okay. We, are we okay? Can we start? I mean, <laughs> it's okay if you're not okay. Welcome, friends. Thank you for joining us for another episode. I'm Keith. I'm Kate. I'm Josh. I'm Renee. And it's okay if you're not okay. Today, we are talking about our favorite influencers, so specific individuals who influence us personally or the field of mental health. And Josh, kick us off. So um, in my experience over the years of learning about different um, mental health professionals, I have really thought about this question, and um, I think the hip thing to say would be Brene Brown. Not fair. That's who I was going to say. But I am not going to say Brene Brown. As I love Brene Brown and I love her work on shame, the person that influenced me the most in my work would be Marsha Linehan, mm. in the sen- the creator of dialectical behavior therapy. Yeah. She took a a turn in our profession with um, a, a diet people with a diagnosis that were told that there was no hope for them, mm-hmm. and she came up with a strategy and skills through. Um, the use of mindfulness and emotion regulation that changed the way we do therapy. There are, I would say right now, and people may argue with me, but there's kind of two, two ways you can go. You can kind of go old school talk therapy or skills based talk or therapy. Mm -hmm. And the, the number one skills based right now would be DBT. Right. Dialectical behavior therapy. And so that, as far as my base, is the most influential person. And those skills are the skills that I use in my everyday life. Yep. Not right. just um, for when I worked with clients, mm-hmm. direct care, but I use them for myself. We've taught my kids those skills. Yeah. Um, my wife is a certified DBT therapist working on getting her RODBT, which is Radically Open DBT, wow. cert- certificate. So it's a it's a big influence in our house just in yeah. general. So, and it's, um, if anybody do- doesn't know, and Renee chime in if you can help me um, with this, is it's for um, a population of folks that um, deal with suicidal ideation and self-harm behaviors on a constant basis. And, yeah. and it teaches people to regulate emotion so then they can um, think a little bit more clearly so they don't they choose to do something else other than harm themselves. Right. That's so a, then how do you so like so that you mentioned that this is something you apply to everyday life, you've talked about it in your family. So how do you then uh, like what part of those skills do you apply to your everyday life? That's yeah. it. Uh, no, I, can I jump in? Is sure. that okay? Yep. I, I, so the the mindfulness piece um, for me, I think, takes uh, um, a huge plays a huge role in my life. When I talk about a, a skill set of the sphere of control, and I have to acknowledge my sphere of control. One, because I like to think I can tr- control things that I can't. <laughs> I like yep. doing that a lot, um, and it's a huge reality check for myself. But two, I also let my sphere of control. Um, get a little overwhelmed and packed sometimes. And so I need to also recognize too that while I am in control of it, I can choose to delegate it. Um, So again, maybe not what I would uh, typically walk somebody through in a therapy session as a skill, but that sphere of control is huge for me personally. So these are some (laughs) words that I think I know what you mean, but I'm not 100% sure I know what you mean. 
So can you give me an example of like something you would have in your sphere of control and then you would delegate to somebody else? Right. So in my sphere of control are my thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, right? Pr pretty fundamental things that are going sure. to live there. Yep. Um, your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors probably will never enter my sphere of control. I have to understand that my thoughts, what things that are in my sphere of control might affect you. And just a, being a conscientious person, I would potentially want to speak or behave differently. But I cannot control your thoughts, feelings, or behaviors. Can't do it. My sphere of control is my stuff. Well said. I think that's really helpful, right? I mean, I'm just thinking just recently had some really difficult conversations with, with some friends. And the response from those friends was uh, not as full of grace as I would have hoped. Sure. And... I found myself going into the phase of trying to analyze all the pieces of how I communicated my mm. thoughts and feelings and trying to figure out what I could have done better there. And it's been a process for me to realize that I can't control how they respond in the midst of that. Right. And through being open to reciprocal relationships, you might want to, for the people that you care about and love um, in a platonic, non-platonic, professional, non-professional way, change your feelings and behaviors because you know how that person might respond. But also, right. it's not your responsibility. Right, and mm -hmm. so I think that's where it um, can be tough for me to find the right balance because yeah. uh, Clifton strengths, my number one strength is individualization. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm hypersensitive to how every person uh like what things they bring to the table, how they are, interact with other people. And so I think, oh, man, I didn't customize the exact <laughs> sentence in the right way for this like, one individual person. So, That's exhausting. Yes. <laughs> and think about it this way. So in DBT, we would, if I wanted you to do something, I would formulate a, a, my sentence to get my needs met through that thing. I can do it effectively or ineffectively. So if I needed to have you edit a edit a guide, a guide, there's two ways I can <laughs> oh, I can too soon. to do this <laughs> is I could say, Keith, do I the, just spent like the last two hours editing the guide for Josh, <laughs> just so you all know, not for me, for Josh's team, <clears throat> for Kate, <clears throat> Kate, uh, who's quietly uh, grunting uh, in the corner. <laughs> She's doing the best she can. It's darn right. <laughs> And so um, is Keith. So I could state I could state to you, even though I could say Kate or uh, Keith, do this for me, right? And then sure. you would have a reaction. Yep. Or I could say, Keith, we have this document, and we really need to get done. It's really important. It's really important to me, Kate, and the team that this this document gets done. I know it's short notice, but it'd be I really appreciate if if you could just take a look at it. Right. That's two different ways. Mm -hmm. And yep. you're going to react to that. But I've shaped you by the way that I've asked. Right. Either yep. way. Right. Yep. So you can react differently on each one. Yep. And that's what one of the basis of, of DBT does is to help shape others by what how we ask yeah. questions. Hmm. And still recognize, yeah. too, that we can do all of that with the best intentions possible and the forethought enough and your response is still your response. Yeah, you could still say no to that request, yeah. even if or I ask it in the throw a tantrum, storm yeah. again. Not my sphere not of safe. control. Yep. yep. So the best, one of the best pieces of of dialectic behavior therapy that I love the best are states of mind. Yeah. So knowing that we have a rational mind, yeah. an emotional mind, <laughs> and they overlap into wise mind, 
and there's lots of cool things that happen in rational mind and lots of cool things that happen in emotional mind. But when we want to make effective decisions, we work on those and putting those into wise mind. Yeah. So it, 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 that's one of my favorite spots because that's where I really learned. Cause as somebody that's in recovery, I can spend a lot of time in emotion mind and I can spend a lot of time in rational mind and making different decisions in that way, mainly in emotion mind because it's impulsive. So once I learned, right. Oh, well, I learned how to do it years before, but it wasn't called states of mind. Sure. Um, it's called a Venn diagram. That's right. <laughs> I really that like Venn diagrams. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of my favorite yeah. pieces of yeah. that. And then also mindfulness and, yeah. and things like that. Radical so, acceptance. Radical acceptance. Uh, yeah. Distress right? tolerance. Yes. Tip chemistry. Uh, I love tip chemistry. <laughs> All right. And Josh, take it away. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> Renee, you're doing the best you can. Sometimes. <laughs> Kate, I know you time. do presentations um, around self-care. Do you use aspects of mindfulness in the midst of that? I intertwine it into every presentation that I do because exactly what they were saying earlier, I think that uh, self-regulation, emotional regulation, stress reduction, that affects how we make decisions across the board. And so as I'm talking about mental health, mental wellness, to me that has to be intertwined mm-hmm. is how can we – in the heightened states that we're at, make the best decision we can in that moment. Right. Even if that means that a year from now you look back and you go, mm, that probably wasn't the best decision. It was the best one that you can make in that moment. And so having the skills in place to do that and to go home and process through through mindfulness. And we talk about you know meditation being more than just sitting in a dark room and being quiet about how it can just be going out and connecting with the mind and body and nature or through spirituality or whatever that is for you. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, every presentation I do, we bring that in. Yeah, that is a, a good segue to what my answer to this question would be as far as the most influential for um, for me in, in mental health. And so um, for me, really, I have a background in the spirituality side of things, having been a pastor. But the, like, in-depth mental health arena, it's new. And so really some of the most influential things I've done is just the relationships I've been making here at the Mental Health Center and being engaged in uh, different campaigns in our community, as far, like Zero Reasons Why, in the trend with teen vaping. Uh, things like that have taught me a lot of things, the language to use um, and uh, the ways to talk about mental health uh, and mental illness and all the, all the pieces around that. But um, what's been helpful to me, having the background in the spirituality side of things, has been being able to merge some of those into thinking about being able to very easily make the transition that's often there where there's a dichotomy between physical health and mental health mm-hmm. and just seeing how that's whole health and we have to be healthy physically, spiritually, yeah. emotionally, mentally. Yeah, it goes back to that wellness wheel. And there, I think there's like eight or nine different components on that. And it's the idea if that one of those are off, the whole wheel is off. And so the importance of having, you know, positive wellness in all of those categories in order to be your best self. And so I think that plays into exactly what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I, as a reminder, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Johnson County Mental Health Center or Johnson County government. Um, some of the some of the individuals who have been most influential to me or at least that like I'm admiring their work um, I hate to mention Rob Bell in every single episode, but I feel like that might happen. And then, 
Richard Rohr. Challenge accepted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're doing the best you can. I am. I am. Uh, Richard Rohr is another one. So thinking about to like, um, like I tend to process things analytically a lot. And so even though I say I have a background in spirituality, I'm not, I don't have a background. Like I'm not a touchy feely, like, uh, you know, I'm not the guy in the desert for 40 years doing meditations all the time. Like that's, that's not me. I, process things analytically and so one of the reasons i like folks like richard Rohr or or others is because they kind of bring me into a state that's not my natural state Mm -hmm. or thinking about things in ways that are not my natural state and i always find health in that uh in in different different perspectives on reality and different perspectives on um, life and relationships and you know we've had conversations on this this podcast different ways of looking at how people make decisions and and different things like those conversations are helpful to me to help me better understand this thing we call life. Well, I think it's one of the reasons why you are a a really pivotal part in this specific podcast too, is you don't have the, the history, the education, all that right stuff that Kate and Josh and myself bring to, to the table here. And so there are times where your perspective is quite refreshing because uh, I get in tunnel vision. 100%. I 100%. get locked into what I know and I really, truly appreciate you even seek out the other side of the coin. Where I'm like, nope, I'm good. <laughs> My I, way. I awesome. What's a podcast? Really Sphere of control <laughs> right here. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I really just do this podcast to hear you guys compliment me all the time. Oh. So. <laughs> Challenge not accepted. <laughs> Kate, who's your who's your most influential person? Um, well, I'm non-committal, so I pick two. Um, I, I'll be, be one of them. That's that fine. That tends to be my go-to. Um, so back to thank Josh's you, earlier. Oh, right? Josh. Oh, thank oh, no. oh, Josh and thanks, Renee. Oh. Awesome. Well, well, so back to Josh's earlier comment is that um, I'm going to be hip and say Renee Brown from a um, broad category because I feel that she her perspectives are always changing especially her work on vulnerability and courage yeah. have been eye-opening now it's not the easiest for me personally to apply but it's a process and I appreciate the fact that she has made um, her material down to earth anyone reading it can feel the emotion behind it as you're yeah. learning and truly, at least in my personal opinion, feel like they're not alone. And it's been made accessible. So, again, it's through books or audiobooks or Netflix. For me, if I'm in a moment where I'm like, I just, I can't pick up another book, but I'm willing to sit there while I'm working and listen to something, I know I still have her information. So, I'm going to be hip and say Brene Brown. Um, but on a... I'll pause, because I want to talk, I want to say something about Brene Brown first before you jump on the next person. So I think one of the great things about Brene Brown, in addition to the way that she, like the actual content of her work is that the way that she can communicate that way, communicate that in ways that's accessible, right? Because she has research, academic scholar stuff behind, Mm -hmm. but when she's presenting, anybody can listen and understand what she's saying. And that's like the, and she does it through storytelling. So relatable. So relatable. Exactly. That's what makes her who she is, is that she can relate to, um, the billion dollar guy that she's doing the, the billion dollar consulting with. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, (laughs) Me, 
listening to her on a TED Talk on right. YouTube. Yep. Like right. the right. same, she's not changing her language for either of those audiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and so. anyone can pick up a textbook and learn the ed- the education and science behind things, but there's not always a connection in how this can actually impact everyday life. Right. And that's what I appreciate about her storytelling is that I can see it play out and know, okay, on my hard days when maybe I'm not, I'm in that emotional state and not the uh, mindful, rational state is yeah. that I can see from her work how this can look in life and I can start making some of those changes rather than having to guess based on a textbook that I picked up. Even though I love textbooks and I read those for fun. You are in the minority. But I don't. Yeah, but, but, um. <laughs> but her, I mean, her research and work on shame, so I mean, good. is like so it's good. the number one thing that she, I mean, she does great work on vulnerability and courage mm-hmm. and that's great, but her mm-hmm. research on shame and how that was brought to light is there's nobody else that's yeah. done that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I haven't um, consumed as much of her content as uh, probably a lot of our listeners. I own every book if you ever want it. <laughs> I own know. every single Brene Brown book. But one piece that actually, you know, thinking about storytelling, the one one of the stories that she's told, you know, through it was through a video, is an, an illustration of the imp- difference between empathy and sympathy. And Love that's, <laughs> you know, really short, but just like this idea about um, a person's down in a dark tunnel and empathy is going down and being with them. Sympathy is staying up above the ladder and talking down to them. At least, at least you have this, you know, right. like, and, and trying to make really in some ways yourself feel better in a way than, than that person. So I actually mentally visualize that situation sometimes when I'm in, in the midst of conversation, when I'm aspiring to be empathetic making sure that the words that I'm about to say come out of my mouth is down in the, t- in the hole with the person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not above. So it's just a, it's a actual visualization that I c- can use and like censor myself in a way to make sure I'm being empathetic and not sympathetic for a person. Well, and it all plays into her work around vulnerability too, because in order to build that connection and to get down at that level and to really connect with someone, you have to connect with something inside of you, which mm. it requires vulnerability. Right. Cause that's uncomfortable. Yeah. And so it all, all of her stuff just plays together yeah. so well. And that reminds me of another uh, spirituality person that I enjoy that I am ashamed I didn't bring up a minute ago is Henry Nowen or Henri Nowen because it's not English. Um, but he talks about being a wounded healer and that often we have to be able to confess our own wounds in order to invite the other person into that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just it goes so long, yeah. so well with that idea that. We, ha- we have to invite people into our own wound- woundedness right. um, in order to bring healing to both of us. And finding that unique balance, at least in my opinion, of not of sh- bringing them into that to be vulnerable and empathetic without making it about you. Yes. Because you yep. still want to make sure it's about them because they're the one yeah. who's needing help, but finding a way to do it so that they know that they're not yeah. alone. It's a Yeah. Now one uses balance. an example. I've, it's been a while since I read him in this particular text, but he uses an example of like actually inviting someone to your house and to the table. And there's a sense in which when you invite someone to your house, uh, that they are in the midst of like your everyday life and you're opening up part of your life to them that they would not see if they were not already at your house. Yeah. And it's not, you know, you take them to your bathroom or to your bedroom. It's more to your (laughs) kitchen table. Right. And so (laughs) he doesn't say that. That's my words. Um, I like that. I can visualize. You can go to the bathroom at my house if you come over. It's all right. (laughs) Yes. But, if you invite me, Keith, come over to my bathroom. Uh, I'm like, what? Awkward. And if you say, Keith, come over I for dinner. I just remodeled it. It's a glorious bathroom. 
I didn't. So who's, who is your second person? Okay. <laughs> so my second one um, is because I, I want to pick someone that I've never met. I obviously have never met Brene Brown. I probably never will, even though I would definitely fangirl over that opportunity. Um, <laughs> I've but, met her. Okay. Well, I'm just kidding. I, this is, I was like, <laughs> this is why you're not my favorite and why I did not pick you. Okay. Awesome. Um, <laughs> So you're telling me there's a chance. There's a chance, <laughs> Renee. Well, Renee, I am always going to pick you. But I... Um, but... Linehan <laughs> would say we don't use always. <laughs> I chose um, Tim DeWeese, our director, and Susan Rome, our uh, deputy director, because I feel that within their roles, being so high up, it's really easy to lose track of what the community needs and how to advocate for people in the community when you're up against some of that business corporate perspective that you get when money is at stake. And I have truly appreciated, because I've only been here a little over a year, so it's still new to me. And I have appreciated Tim and Susan always advocating for staff, for the mental health of the community, always letting us try new things like this podcast and finding new ways to get information out and to really live what they're working. Like, I don't feel that after 5 o'clock, they don't believe in what they're doing from 8 to 5. They live it out in every day. And so I picked them as well just because I feel that a lot of the ways that we're able to support our community is a special thanks and testament to the hard work that they're doing and recognizing that that is a really uncomfortable position to be in when you're balancing the needs versus mm-hmm. the yeah. administrative side. It's yep. I, yeah. as someone who's not an admin, I mean, I recognize that that's difficult. So I went with both, you know, they're great people. Yeah, absolutely. Great people. Follow them on Twitter. Follow them on Instagram. They're awesome. Josh's. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> I mean, ha- now, Renee, you've got to follow that. Easy. Ditto. Yeah. <laughs> Tim and Susan are amazing. <laughs> is it really my turn? Are we going to talk about them? It is I don't know. Are we going to talk about them for a while? I mean, okay. We let's can have talk, a let's, Tim and Susan let's, podcast. Let's talk about them for a second. Yes, Kate, <laughs> you are correct. They are fantastic. We ha- we're really lucky. To be at a at a in a system of care that allows us to do some of the things that we get to do, and and they're the reasons that we get to do that. So that's pretty fantastic. And they live out just as really great human beings the the, the philosophical belief that we can all learn, change, and grow. Mm-hmm. I'm really inspired by that on a daily basis. Yeah, because it's really hard to learn, change, and grow sometimes, and to own that. <laughs> and they allowed me to work here. Well, well, so questionable. That part questionable. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I made it past the six months. So, I mean, they could have stepped in. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty fantastic. <laughs> and I appreciate too the strength based approach that they're really working um, to incorporate and in with every touch right. that we have with people, right. and they're embracing prevention through recovery they're embracing all ages with the new i don't want to misspeak for it but the new program with infants yep abc abc mm-hmm. so it's just been really inspiring to me to see when funding isn't always what we hope it can be we're still seeing so much growth and what we're able to do thanks to their support yep. so yeah great leadership yep you can follow uh, our director tim deweese on uh 
pretty much any platform at MNH Director. Uh, you can find them there. Renee, who's your favorite person? Don't don't forget to follow Susan too. Uh, I just she is what on. Her handle is. <laughs> she's on Twitter. <laughs> MNH Dep Director. Yeah. There you go. Oh, interesting. Okay. My 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 person um, is a professor from the university that I got my master's degree at, and I took three classes from this professor, not knowing that all three would be taught by him and not knowing that I would absolutely enjoy his teachings and his, his personality so much. Um, he taught me probably what I know the most about family therapy, and that is really powerful to me. So I love the family system, and I've been able to apply that over the past 15 years of my career, whether it be in like my own family system, um, whether it be a family system that I'm working with, maybe a team or a quote-unquote family system here at work. So just really powerful stuff there. I think the one thing that, I mean, blew my mind, I'll never forget the day that I was sitting in his class, and um, it hit. It, it, the, I was overwhelmed. Um, I don't know what happened after that because I was so taken aback by learning that without context, behavior is just behavior. Yep. And I didn't get it. Until he laid it, I mean, laid it out that a behavior without a supporting story, without a supporting scenario is just simply a behavior. And we apply so much context to things and so much judgment to things that um, shapes our opinions on behavior. I have the goosebumps just hearing that. Um, I, I, that is my goal. Every podcast for you, Kate. Goosebumps. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, you're doing the best you can, aren't you? Yes, right. I am. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. That is a that is a huge um, learning. I don't want to say curve. I, that's not the right thing. But like when once you understand that, uh, it is whoa. world changing. It is. It, it is. is. I mean, and I didn't get it. I had. To, I mean, I was one of those that you know, I was sitting in class, like, mm, uh, well, not making sense to me, doctor. Right. Nope, not happening. And then there was one just example clicks. that just hmm. what, what, um, right? And and also recognizing too how that's shaped me as a professional, um, and working with with children and families, particularly for twelve years of my career, and then have been here two years. Where I'm working with really the whole lifespan, um, and recognizing that behaviors are just getting our needs met. Right. As yeah. simple as that. Um, and that's my challenge, right, to, to, to folks that are listening, to folks in the room. Again, and I, I appreciate disagreement or questions about that, but we behave to get our needs met. And sometimes that behavior might not be pretty yeah. <laughs> or effective. Yeah. And that's yep. <laughs> that's why I'm not a, the fan fan of the word manipulation. Sure. Because right. Because that right. word yeah. puts um, such a judgmental context on people's behaviors, behavior. right? Yep. <laughs> When behavior is, like you said, just getting your needs met, yes. whether it's effective or ineffective, whether it's falling down and throwing a fit yes. or asking in, a, in an effective way, right? Right, right, right. Yep. Absolutely. You only know what you know until you know something different. Yeah. Yep. And that's why, and especially in my work with, with kids, I've always tried to help people use the word, like refrain from rewards and consequences and just talk about responses. That's right. I will respond to your behavior. If you like the response of getting a reward from me, you will probably continue that behavior. Yeah. But I really talk about re responses a lot. I'll have a behavioral response 
to what you are presenting me with. What's frustrating is when you do the thing over and over again, thinking that you're doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing and you're not getting the response that you want, the reaction. That's one of the the tougher things and, and trying to teach people that you may not get the answer that you want, right? But the, your behavior is still the effective sphere behavior. of control, right. yeah. radical acceptance, yeah. and you're only responsible for your behavior. That's right. That's it. Yep. I well, was, I was oh, thinking about. Sorry. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, I was thinking about this with parenting. Like uh, my like like the those re- behavioral responses to your child's behavior, they don't always result in your hopeful outcome. You know, the first time you do it, <laughs> and so like, right. so like, it's like a pattern of behavior in relationship. You have to remember over and over again, and it's not something that just is a one-time thing, and all the everything works out. I nicely. just had that discussion with my twelve-year-old, who's a wrestler, and who beats himself up by saying he can't all the time. And then we were having a discussion on the way home. I was like, "Well, you know, you got to work on not saying I can't." And then he's like, "Well, yeah, I just need to change my mind to positive." And I go, "Oh, no, son." doesn't work like that it takes work to change i can't into i can sure it's not just a switch of your brain that you're just gonna figure it's stopping yourself when you say i can't to oh i'm saying i can't to i gotta do things differently yeah because if it were that easy i'd be perfect right exactly right Right. i could flip that switch and make the best decision every single time so we're work so it's teaching yeah those skills and those behaviors to do things differently some of that's mindfulness again right i mean like so maybe not in the moment of that but like after the fact considering why did i start saying i can't and how can i say how can i change that yeah uh, what what does it make me feel like what was i feeling b- before after during mm-hmm. can be and i i didn't say his name shout out dr petraconis if you are out there anywhere and this happens to come across your earbuds Thank you, sir. Dr. Pechaconis. Yeah. That's a great name. Yep. I think the cool thing, too, that I'm picking up on is I'm just feeling the love and excitement and passion. I'm seeing it and I'm hearing it when you talk about his work and how much of an impact. Yeah. So that, for <laughs> me, is cool to see because I've obviously have never met him and I'm like, I need to meet this guy. He sounds incredible because I can just, again, see and hear it coming through. And so that's pretty cool to to see. And, and he's. Right, he's tangible for me. He was yeah. tangible for me. So sometimes it's hard for me, with all due respect to the Brene Browns, right. the Marsha Linnea. Right. I, yeah. haven't, I haven't been, sure. those haven't been tangible to me. Yeah. I'm sure that if they were, and so I am much more of that relator. So relator is in mm-hmm. my top five of the Clifton strengths, and that's my um, connected. So I really like right. to have the small social groups where we really know a lot about one another. And so that, I was in a course with this professor for over a year of my life learning from him directly and that was powerful in the formation of who i am not just as a therapist but as a as a person yeah Um, and i think that's so cool when you can connect with people in that way i don't know so dr kelly mcgonigal from um, harvard university she's a health psychologist and she wrote the book the willpower instinct and how to make stress your friend and all these great books and I just decided to reach out to her one day and see if I could use her work with a group of students um, at my former place of employment. And she was the nicest person who at no point, even though she, I don't know, I'm making an assumption. I'm sure she makes buku bucks just with all of her book sales and all of that. And she said, 
you know, follow the material the way it was written, obviously, just for fidelity. But if you're reaching students, use it. There was no cost to us to use it for the university. Wow. No, she just said, I want people to be impacted by this, yeah. and I'm honored that this is something you're interested in. Absolutely do with it as you need. Just yeah. align with it. Again, because you want to make sure you're doing the best effective work mm -hmm. with the students. And I know I had that same experience with Dr. Alardi at KU, who was one of my professors, with, and he wrote the Depression Cure book. And, again, when you hear these people – and you can connect with them in that way. It's right. incredible. Sometimes the relationships, it, I mean, it, it, the, having the added piece of the relationships is actually sometimes more important than the actual content of whatever is being taught or thought. Like when you get to see kind of those things together, like kind of the integrity between what the person is saying and who they are externally. Mm -hmm. and so publicly, go to class. And, <laughs> go to class. <laughs> Bottom wow, line. Yeah, of this go to class. Meet your professors. Your it's phone. important. <laughs> Choose awesome professors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Who are engaging. <laughs> Powerful. Uh, that's a good turn. Yeah. Okay. Thanks because for Because trust me, I have lots of other stories. Uh, um, yes. There you go. Uh, and before we get to those stories, thank you for joining us for another episode. I'm Keith. I'm Kate. I'm Josh. I'm Renee. And it's okay.